if you remember from last week, uh, we saw our Lord tell a, a short little parable, a little parable about a master who was going away on a trip and he left his servants in charge of his household and uh, and as he's leaving, he leaves with the expectation, kind of as he's closing the front door behind him, that the servants will work diligently and, and keep themselves watchful and busily waiting for his return, uh, whenever that might be. Well, today's reading is going to pick up that same theme, but this time uh, shows us what happens when the master sends an unexpected envoy to announce that he's on his way home. And if you remember... Uh, this lectionary, year, year A, we're reading what gospel? Matthew, that's right. So Matthew chapter 3, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. So brothers and sisters, listen for the voice of the Spirit. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for this holy word that you provided for us today. We ask you, Father, by its faithful testimony that you would change hearts, that you would open minds, and you would send out this word, Father, because you promised it won't return to you in vain, but will accomplish all that you purpose it to. And so we trust in you, Father, that that's going to happen even in these next few moments. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you guys still have your Bibles open, I hope you do, turn, turn back to that section and go right to the, the last page of the Old Testament, all right, the last last page of Malachi. And if you take that, that little, you see that little sheet that's in between there, that kind of artificial separation between the Testaments, and you, you flip it, what, what you've done in terms of the literature there is skipped over about 400 years of time. Uh, 400 years of silence, it was called. Uh, 400 years uh, without the people of God uh, having received a prophet, uh, 400 years without any uh, powerful miracles to topple God's enemies. 400 years without any profound revelation to be added to the books of the Torah. Uh, 400 years of waiting. But waiting for what? Well, well, waiting for the Messiah for sure, but that's an awfully long time. And so just as we saw in Jesus' parable from last week, these wicked servants who are supposed to be 
the people of God, God's chosen people, say to themselves, my master is delayed. And they begin to beat their fellow servants and eat and drink with drunkards. And just generally start breaking up into factions and doing their own thing. Until all of a sudden, and for them, uh, almost completely out of the blue comes this funny-looking guy wearing crazy-looking clothes and crunching on honey-covered locusts uh, who jumps onto the scene with uh, all the welcome of an uninvited grizzly bear at a Sunday school picnic. This guy was a complete wild man. And this guy's name is John the Baptist. And his appearance today in the lectionary is no accident, but rather an intentional effort to jar us awake so that we can be really ready for Christmas when it comes and for Jesus when he comes, whether, whether it's in that celebration at Christmas or enraptured by his imminent return. And just for the record, this is for Brother Don's sake, um, John the Baptist was not a Baptist like our brothers and sisters in the Southern Baptist Conference, Brother Don. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't go in for a bunch of potluck dinners. Uh, he didn't try to get out of church quick to get the best seats at the Cracker Barrel. Uh, he didn't tell folks they weren't allowed to wear blue jeans on Sundays. Uh, no, John might be better described as John the Dipper or John the Immerser because he plunged a whole lot of people into the waters of the Jordan River as an expression of their repentance. Uh, and he didn't come up with that idea all on his own either. John's baptism was an adaptation of the Jewish mikvah or ritual immersion bath that had been part of Hebrew culture for generations uh, and that actually symbolized spiritual cleansing and a preparation for undertaking a whole new beginning. And so the reason that John had people do it was to show that they had changed their mind about their need for a savior uh, and that they were taking a new direction regarding what that salvation might look like. And you know, church, that idea uh, is at the very heart of what we're still being called to today. But I want to circle back to that. So just, just keep that thought aside for one moment in your mind. Because before we get to that, as I said in the opening, uh, John starts out by letting his hearers know that something special is about to happen, and not so much something as someone. Someone who John was only preparing the way for, whose uh, advent he was announcing when he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I am not worthy to carry. And remember, we've, we've talked about this a lot, even uh, was referenced in our Advent reading this morning, uh, about the word Advent meaning arrival or coming, and that the Advent season we are in uh, is all about the arrival of Christ first in Bethlehem and then his second appearing but it actually shows up here as well just prior to the beginning of our Lord's public ministry uh, with John announcing the fulfillment of centuries-old prophecy that we read in verse 3. He said, uh, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And Luke's gospel expands on that and continues, uh, make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Uh, fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills, straighten the curves, smooth out the rough places for the Savior to come. And by this point, of course, you know, John was not uh, pointing people not to Jesus' birth because Jesus was already an adult man by this point, but instead he's pointing people to the appearing of Jesus as the Lamb of God as the one who takes away the sins of the world and who ushers in a whole new reality when he tells them 
the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And church, the job of announcing that advent hasn't changed. The times may be different, but the task remains, and it hasn't gotten any easier, has it? And we need to get started. And honestly, if you think about it, the world is doing most of the work for us right now because everybody knows when Christmas is. They just might not know what it means beyond the gift giving. And it's our job to help people see or perhaps get ourselves to see for the very first time that there's so much more to it than that. Because, you know, no matter how carefully we select a gift for someone, uh, no matter how much money or time we spend on it, our giving will always be imperfect because it's only a shadow, right? It's only a, a symbol of that perfect gift that we affirm each week in the Apostles' Creed and that we just affirmed in the Nicene Creed. Uh, that gift conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Because the truest gift of the Advent season is that Christ gave himself for each of us, individually, specifically. Because, brothers and sisters, Christ didn't come to make people savable. He came for you. He, he didn't shed his blood for an anonymous blob of humanity or create a bank of merit for the church to dispense. He came and paid the price the particular price for my sin, and if you're in Christ, he paid yours too. Amen. And it was no marked-down Christmas bargain. It cost him everything. See, that's the gift of God and the giving of Christ. And so this Advent, as we prepare for that gift, that gift of experiencing once again how God claims us as his own through the manifestation of his Son, we need to hear and see it for what it really is. And so that starts with not only looking at where John was pointing that day, but listening to what receiving Christ means. And brothers and sisters, as John told us, it starts with repentance. I told you we'd circle back to that because this is an idea too important to skip over. And for some of you, it may not mean what you think it means. Because the biblical call to repentance is much more than just rejecting any specific sins, as important as that is. But church, the primary biblical definition of repentance in Scripture means to change your mind. Okay, Now don't mishear me, this is no license to sin. Uh, a turning away from moral sin is always the result and always the fruit and the evidence of true repentance. But initially, initially, repentance is a change of mind about whoever you think Jesus is if it isn't the Son of God. And so if, if, in other words, if you think that Jesus is just a good teacher, you've got to repent and change your mind. If you think Jesus was just a great moral leader and an instigator of social justice, you must repent and change your mind. If you think that Jesus is just a myth propagated by the early church to gain power and influence in the world, you must repent and change your mind. And in short, if you think that Jesus is anything less than the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, and the personal Savior and Redeemer of your sins, you must first repent and change your mind and recognize that Jesus is indeed Lord and Christ. And that was the message of John the Baptist. And that's the same call we receive today, that effectual call of God this Advent as he draws people to himself out of the chaos of this world, a world where right now public consensus and and pluralism and self-righteous pundits are the order of the day. And he calls us to make a bold statement and a brave declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then guess what? Live like you really believe it. 
leaving room for Christ to enter the wasteland of our lives this Christmas and for us to experience the freedom and the forgiveness that only comes from the awareness of that awesome truth that into this fragile and fallen world that seems always to be just hanging by a thread came our God in the flesh. First as a baby in Bethlehem and then as a full-grown man on the banks of the Jordan suffering later under the horror of the cross rising to the glory of heaven and someday coming again. And that is the hope and that is the promise that we hold on to, even when at times it seems like we've been living in those silent years that I started out talking about. Because brothers and sisters, God is still at work, regardless of what comes against us. Whether it be COVID-19 and its endless perpetual mutations or the tyranny of Christ-hating politicians in the halls of Congress, the race-baiting teachers and school board trustees who are constantly pushing critical race theory on our kids uh, instead of actually teaching them how to think for their own. Uh, and let's be honest, that's just a small list from among all the things that we're called to face daily. But church, John didn't point people to Jesus to make their lives easy and prosperous, but rather to make them holy and productive for him or else. That's why we read but when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warns you to flee from the wrath to come? And church, John's not pulling any punches here because don't forget, like we talked about in Sunday school, those folks were the religious elite of the day. Those, those folks, those Pharisees, those Sadducees, we think of as the villains because, you know, we know what they were up to behind the scenes. We know ultimately what they did to Jesus, but they thought of themselves as, uh, really fine, upstanding, uh, spiritually devout people. But John is having none of it, and he says, you better get your act together. In our modern context, the kind of folks that John was addressing would be those ones that come to church just to be seen, uh, or just because they like the fellowship, or because they enjoy singing hymns, or because, hey, you know, mama and daddy always went to church, so they figure they better too. Uh, especially because, you know, the family's been so prominent in the church for so many years, and hey, after all, it was their great-grandfather who donated all the stained-glass windows in the sanctuary. To who John says today, none of that is going to help you. And he says, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing hook is in his hand, and he will clear the threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so in other words, he's saying it doesn't matter who you are or what family you came from if you didn't come here to get right with God this morning. And brothers and sisters, this is a really good point to go ahead and say out loud what some of you may already be thinking. Pastor, what in the world does any of that have to do with Advent and Christmas? Uh, and the answer is everything. Everything. In fact, it's the whole point of it, because if you don't know the bad news of sin in the world and in ourselves, the good news of Christmas isn't worth a hill of beans. And it actually turns out to be a whole lot of work and worry for very little return on investment. And it's one of the reasons why so many people this time of year feel so burnt out and so depressed. And so stressed uh, this time of year because way too often all we want to hear about is baby Jesus meek and mild. And about the wise men and about the angels and about the star. And hey, I do too because I love Christmas. 
but if in our preaching we fail to balance the grace of the gospel with the judgment of God's law, or we fail to reconcile God's righteous wrath with his relentless love, or we fail to reconcile sin with repentance, the result is an answer in search of a question. And so, in other words, yes, Christ was born in Bethlehem, but for what? For what? What was the point other than to sell greeting cards and candy and Christmas lights? What's the point of the incarnation in the manger if there's no rift between God and man that needs mending? What's the use of a virgin birth if there's no sinful bent to humanity that needed redeeming? What's the whole theme of the Advent wreath really worth if it's not to remind us that Christ came to save us from God's wrath? Church, that's the message of Christmas. That we are saved from God by God. And that the world of humanity owed God a debt we couldn't pay, so he sent his son as a gift to cover the cost. But what good is a Savior if no one thinks they have any sin? And church, that's where we are today. That's the world we live in. And when we fail to recognize that, when we fail to recognize that we're all sinners saved by grace, we trivialize salvation. We make it little more than God just kind of helping us through a personal crisis now and then and giving us something to sing about at holidays and wish each other merry over. And when we do that, when we're satisfied with just that, can we really be surprised over the state of the world and over the shape of the institutional church at large and its seismic shift from the truths of Scripture? No, because how could it be otherwise? <clears throat> and so it's no wonder that churches with such a stunted view of salvation have lost their ability to draw people to Christ. If there's no sin, who needs Jesus? Who needs the church? Who, who needs to be saved other than from illness or poverty or unemployment or all the other this world problems? Who needs Christ when we have government safety nets and feel-good sermons on the internet and no commitment churches where anything goes. And yet it's into the chaos of that void that by the voice of the Holy Spirit in the mouth of John the Baptist we hear, bring forth fruit worthy of repentance. Because as John the Baptist tells us this morning, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right after he called the folks to repent, those were the very next words out of his mouth. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And notice he's not calling people to repent so that the kingdom will come. He calls them to repent because the kingdom has come already. And that's the already but not yet of our faith. That's the advent John is calling our attention to. The one that's right here and right now today. It's just like we're already ready for Christmas, but it's not here yet. Right? We, we can see the signs all around us. We can feel the atmosphere. You can almost taste the excitement, but we, we've still got a little bit of waiting to do. And that can't mean just sitting on our hands. There's still plenty to be done. And in the same way, there's a very real sense in which God's kingdom is already in force as we sit here today. And yet the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Our Jesus born in a manger raised in relative obscurity, likely not someone you'd even give a second look to if you passed them on a first century street. And yet John heralds Jesus' advent in his day and by extension in ours as a call to turn away from the world we know so that we can see the reality of the kingdom of heaven right in our midst. Even at this table, 
at this table that represents everything that John announced. This table that poses all the questions that Advent asks and offers us all the answers that Christmas brings. Why lies he in such mean a state? Where ox and ass are low and good Christians fear, for sinners hear the silent word is pleading. Nail and spear shall pierce him through. The cross he bore for me, for you. Hail the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. And today his kingdom is here and he's coming again. And church, today we are announcing Christ's advent. Are you ready? Let's pray together. God, our Father, it's truly right and our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise, especially in this Holy Supper, recalling that perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ and asking you by the joy of his incarnation and in expectation of his coming again that you unite us in your truth and love so that we can confess your name and come sit together at one table. So come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this place and in this time that eyes may be opened that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And I'm going to invite Brother Jim to join me at the table as we sing our communion hymn. To the table of mercy, prepared for the vine and the prey. All who are hungry and thirsty, come and your souls will be fed. Come to the Lord's invitation. Receive from his nail start hands. Eat of the bread of salvation. Drink of the blood of the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, in the Lord's Supper, Christ is present with us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he invites us to receive him. Uh, but the word also reminds us not to approach the Lord's table with any unconfessed sin in our hearts. Remember, First uh, John says, if we say we have no sin, we make God a liar. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we're going to take a moment of silent prayer. We're going to pray together uh, and then hear the promise of God's forgiveness. So let's take a moment to approach God's throne in silent confession. Father God, we come this morning confessing we haven't loved you with all of our hearts and with all of our mind and with all of our strength. We haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. And so, Lord, we come this morning seeking the forgiveness that's only available through your Son. And Father, we lift up in the silence of our hearts all those individual sins that keep us separated from you. And Father, we ask by the power of your Spirit this morning that you would break their hold upon us, that you would give us grace to make a full and complete confession, Father, so that we can approach your table and receive you 
with joy. And we ask these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.